You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. This podcast is designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. The information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. I'm Craig Day, and I would like to welcome you back to First Tech's first podcast for 2022. And for this edition, we're changing things up a little. We'll still be doing our usual podcasts on our strategic update articles, but we'll also be picking an interesting question that we've received in the month, and with a little help from my friends, attempt to answer it, including the technical reasons why. So here to assist are my senior managers. I've got Julie Fox, I've got Linda Bruce and Tim Sanderson. G'day, guys. G'day, Craig. So we're all excited by this new format? Absolutely. Very much so. Yes, very, very excited. Okay, so let's get into it. So our first question is one we got a couple of weeks ago, but it's actually on a fairly regular rotation and it relates to downsizer contributions. So the question actually, let's get into it. So is my client's main residence is on a large block of land and they would like to subdivide and sell off part of it as a vacant block. Could they then contribute the proceeds as a downsizer contribution if they will still be rem- remain living in their home at the front of the block of land? So to answer this question, we really need to look at a number of issues. So, Tim, can you run through all of the different eligibility requirements for downsizer contributions? Sure. Uh, well, as you know, the, the normal contributions cap and work test rules don't apply to making downsizer contributions. But instead, the client needs to meet a range of specific eligibility rules, which really centre around largely whether they've sold a qualifying main residence. So the eligibility rules to make a downsizer contribution are, firstly, the contributor is age 65 or over at the time of the contribution, and there's no upper age limit. So someone 85, 90 years old could potentially make a downsizer contribution. Um, And a really important point to make there is that legislation has, um, from the 2021 um, federal budget, has recently passed parliament, which would lower that eligibility age to down to 60 from uh, for contributions from 1 July 2022. Um, The contribution needs to be uh, an amount equal to part or all of the sale proceeds of that qualifying main residence, and that's also capped at $300,000 per person. Mm-hmm. There's a 10-year ownership condition, so the main residence had to have been owned by the person, their spouse or former spouse for the 10 years prior to the sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, the contribution has to be made to a complying super fund within 90 days after the change of ownership um, or potentially a longer period allowed by the, the Commissioner of Tax. Um, and importantly, the individual has to provide the super fund with a specific downsizer contribution form, either at or before the time the downsizer contribution is made. Um, and it is a one-off opportunity, so the, the client must have not previously made a downsizer contribution into super from the sale of another home. And, and finally, I think it's important to note that even though they're known as downsizer contributions, there's really no obligation to... Um, subsequently purchase a smaller home um, or purchase a, a newer residence of lower value. So the, the client may not want to purchase a new residence at all. They may purchase a residence for the same value or a higher value. And you can still use the 
the downsides, as long as you satisfy all those rules. Okay, exactly. so, um, Tim, you talked a lot there about qualifying main residents. So this this is where it brings into play these CGT rules. So, Linda, can you fill us in on what it actually means by qualifying main residents in the eligibility requirements for the downsizer contribution? Yep, sure. We're looking for a, a building or a dwelling. But it must be a dwelling located in Australia, and it cannot be a caravan, houseboat, or other types of mobile homes. And the, the thing is, it's not required for the dwelling or the property to be the main residence uh, at the time of being disposed of. What it mm-hmm. requires is that the capital proceeds from the sale can qualify for full or part resident CGT exemption. Or if the dwelling or the property was purchased before 20 September 1985, in other words, a pre-CGT asset, then the sale proceeds must be otherwise qualified for the full or partial CGT uh, resident exemption, except for the fact that it was purchased prior to that date. Uh, so if it were a post-CGT asset, could the property qualify for the partial or full resident exemption? If the answer is yes, that a property potentially could be a qualified uh, qualifying residence. And another situation we come across from time to time uh, is that uh, one member of the couple owns the property under their own individual names. Uh, and the other person, the partner or spouse, is not on the title of the property. So when um, could the property be a qualifying property for the uh, spouse who is not on the title? It depends. It really depends on whether that person who is not on the title has that person ever lived in the property uh, themselves. Uh, if they did, even though they are not on the title, but if they were on the title, they would be qualified uh, uh, get get the partial main, um, CGT main residence exemption, then the answer could be yes. Otherwise, the answer would be potentially no. Uh, probably already last year, I'll give you a quick example. Um, I might mm-hmm. own an apartment before I get married um, and might enter into a relationship and my partner moved into the property uh, and um, he never was put on the title. And then we moved somewhere else, started a family, and we kept that apartment solely under my own name. And my partner was never, ever put on the title. But because he lived in the property himself, when this apartment eventually been sold, um, my partner could be a, a potential contributor. Um, and the, uh, the property uh, could be a qualifying man residence, uh, even though he was never, ever put on the title. But if he okay. never ever lived in that property, it's a different story. Then he, then he couldn't do it. Okay, so kind of bringing it back to this, um, you know, subdivision kind of question. So when, when you're talking about you, the dwelling, you're actually talking about the actual house or the structure that you're living in, right? Well, what about the land that it's located in or located on? Is that part of your main residence? Yeah, the tax law uh, defines the main residence. Uh, when it defines the main residence, it actually uh, includes the land in adjacent to the building up to two hectares 
To the extent the land was mainly used for private or domestic purposes in association、uh, with the dwelling, and it doesn't、okay. matter whether the land is on the same title or not, as long as it's in adjacent to the building up to two hectares. Okay, all right. So, what about if the land is like larger than two hectares? Do I actually need to apportion the sale proceeds for the two hectares containing the dwelling? Because I've, I've got a limit here of three hundred thousand dollars, right? So, what if I've got you know? Five thousand hectares, right? Yeah.、Um, do I need to go? Okay. Well, what is the value of the land、uh, that my dwelling is on, and the two hectares around it?、Um, I'm selling this property, let's say, for five million dollars. But what is the value of this little two hectare block with a with a farmhouse on it?、Um, do I need to say, well, is that worth only one hundred fifty thousand dollars of the five million dollar sale price, if it's that much, and therefore I can only contribute five one hundred fifty thousand? How does that work? Actually, this was quite clearly answered by the explanatory memorandum、uh, when the measure, including the bill, was introduced. So,、uh, for people not familiar with that terminology, the explanatory memorandum that tells the audience what the intention of this measure. So, in the EM or explanatory memorandum, the government released when the measure was released back in 2017. Um, I recall.、Um, it says no. You, it's not. You don't have to apportion the sale proceeds. So as long as the whole entire capital proceeds can qualify for,、uh, in this case, would be a partial main residency exemption, then you look at in total how much you're getting from the sale. If that amount is higher than three hundred thousand dollars, then、um, you. You don't have to apportion the proceeds. You can put, if you're eligible,、uh, up to three hundred thousand into super and the downsides. Okay, great. So now you mentioned before,、um, land on a separate title can actually be included as part of your two hectares. So I've got my, you know, my my house sitting on a block of land, and it's broken into two two titles for some reason.、Um, So you're telling me that I can get the main resident exemption on that separate title, as long as the land、uh, on the separate title, separate title. As long as the land and the, the building are sold together,、uh, the, the the land and the dwelling are sold together. Yeah, potentially you could get the downsizer contribution. Ah,、oh, okay. So there is a requirement there. Now, so all right. So you can still make a downsizer contribution when you qualify for a partial main resident. Residents exemption. Can can you let me know? Well, explain very genuinely. When do you get a partial exemption? I love the way you said、uh, very generally、yeah. <laughs> on, on a very high level. Otherwise,、um, do we have a few days to talk about it? <laughs> yes, no, on the it very very high level, <laughs>、uh, we're looking at、uh, whether the dwelling was used by the individual or their spouse、uh, as their main residence at a certain period of during the ownership period.、Uh, during the ownership period, as long as the dwelling was used、uh, as their main residence for taxation purposes. Then on the high level, potentially、um, the partial main residency exemption, if not the full main residency exemption, may be available、uh, to this individual or or the partial、uh, or the or their partner. Okay, well, congratulations on there, and very succinctly summarising about fifty sections of of the Tax Act.、Um, so essentially, what we're saying is they're they're going to look at 
the the time periods that you've lived in the property, but they're also going to look on look at whether you've used part of the property to to run a business or generate income or something along those lines. But as long as you've lived there as your main residence for at least part of the ownership period, um, then you will qualify for a part main residence exemption. Okay, so getting back to the actual question. So Julie, in this situation, taking into account that we can have a block of land on different titles uh, and potentially qualify for the downsizer contribution when we go and sell everything, could we actually subdivide the block and sell the vacant land and qualify to make a downsizer contribution? Well, Craig, just looking at the, the plain vanilla situation, you could subdivide a, a block and you're left with uh, two CGT assets, one with the house that you've lived in on it and uh, one piece of vacant land, uh, so two separate titles and two CGT assets. Um, However, if you sell that vacant land on its own, it uh, doesn't have a main residence with it. Um, so therefore, it won't qualify for either the full or part main residence exemption. Ah, so looks like they can't do a downsizer because we're not qualifying for a full or part. But Linda said the main residence could include land on a separate title. Yeah, that's right. Um, there are a lot of qualifications when it comes to the tax rules around CGT main residence exemptions. When you subdivide, you have two separate titles. The adjacent land, as Linda has discussed, um, can include land on a separate title. However, if one of um, those separate titles is vacant, uh, the main residence rules require adjacent land on a separate title to be sold to the same person at the same time to be able to qualify for any main residence exemption. So if you're retaining the block with the house on it and selling part of the vacant backyard that you subdivided separately, it's not going to qualify for any main residence exemption and therefore you couldn't contribute any of the proceeds as a downsizer contribution. Now we're just talking about one plain vanilla subdivision here um, mm -hmm. and it's important to know that in the main residence exemption there's all kinds of rules. Um, so it's really important uh, if you've had more than one main residence and especially with subdivision, it's really important to get tax advice on um, the choices that you're making but and to be aware of all the impacts. Okay. All right. So thinking about this from a strategic perspective, so if we go and subdivide you know, the back of the block and sell that off, it's not part of my main residence because I'm not selling it at the same time as my main residence to the same person. So therefore, I'm not going to get any sort of down, a partial or full or partial main residence exemption on it. So therefore, I can't qualify for a downsizer contribution. However, thinking about this, maybe could I develop the vacant block and move into that and then sell the previous block with the dwelling on it? my previous home on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the original home would generally qualify for a full main residence exemption, so long as you sold it within six months of moving into the new house. Um, but even if you took longer, you would still qualify for a partial residence main residence exemption on the original home, so that's definitely an option and um, kind of a nicer option if you decide to move into the new <laughs> swanky house um, yeah. and get your CGT exemption at the same time. Yeah. Now, what, what First Tech does have is uh, a downsizer FAQ document that 
runs through all the different um, subdivision type situations that you can come across. So we've looked at two of them here, but if you've got an interest in that, certainly have a look at that document and, and it gives you a, a couple of different scenarios. Okay, so let's just assume that the client actually does qualify to make a downsizer contribution. What other, what other issues are we seeing around the contribution, Tim? Um, so, well, obviously, as we mentioned before, the contribution needs to be made within 90 days of the change of ownership, and that will generally be the time of settlement. And we do get questions around the, the timing of when the minimum age is tested. And under the current rules, you only need to be 65 at the date of the contribution, not also back at the date that that sale occurs. Um, so potentially you could sell then turn 65 during the 90-day period and you would meet that age requirement at the time of contribution. And obviously that logic or that rule will also apply when the eligibility age drops to age 60 from 1 July this year. Okay, so just yep. to summarize, so what that's really saying to me is I could actually sell the property when I'm 64 or 59 after 1 July yep. this year, um, but as long as I'm that qualifying age, either 60 or 65, at the time the contribution goes in, that's the relevant age, not the age when you sell the property. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah and, okay. and, and in terms of the 90-day period, you, you can apply to the ATO for an extension of that 90-day period, for example, where it's a delay caused by factors outside of your control. But the ATO has um, potentially um, guessing what people would try and get an extension for. They've made clear that an extension of time is not going to be granted just to allow uh, a client or spouse to meet that minimum age requirement. Yeah. The, the interesting thing there was we, we were dealing with one of these kinds of extensions the other day, um, and it was circumstances outside the control of the member. It was just like, oh, we didn't realise we could do this, and now we want an extension. It was There was external factors involved, and the ATO just gave them another year to be able to make the contribution. So, you know, 90 days, apply for extension, and then you get another 365. So if you're in that situation, the ATO do seem to be quite willing to give you quite an extended period to be able to make the contribution. Yeah, so that's interesting, that level of extension that was given in that yeah. circumstance. Um, and probably a couple of other things. The, the contribution doesn't have to be made with the actual sale proceeds. It just needs to be an amount equal to part or all of the proceeds capped at 300000 So, for example, if you had used your sale proceeds to extinguish a mortgage, you could then potentially sell shares that you had and provided you within that time frame and you meet the requirements, you could still contribute the, those shares um, share sale proceeds in as a downsizer contribution. We're, we've also seen people here do re-contributions exactly. off the back of this, haven't we? So they've, they've gone and sold their house, they qualify for a downsizer, but they actually went and bought something of equal value and then they use the downsizer to cash out and re-contribute back in. So, yep. yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Now, we, we thought that was always possible, but the ATO has just recently come out in the last couple of months and confirmed that, haven't they? It's, it's, the, it's the amount equal to the proceeds. You don't actually have to contribute the actual proceeds that you receive. Exactly. And, and then finally, just reiterating again, um, providing that downsizer contribution to Superform at all before the time the contribution is made is um, critical. There's no leniency on that issue, no ability to provide the form at a later point. So in order for it to be a downsizer contribution, the form has to be in. Okay, great. Now, anything else we need to know? Oh, just mentioning again, um, the opening up of downsizer contributions to potentially many more people from 1 July 22 with that eligibility age reducing to age 60. And so for a couple, that age 60 
potentially they can make a non-concessional contribution, bring forward and downsize a combo of up to 1.26 million combined, rather than just 660 combined under the bring forward at the moment for people in that age group. Yeah, really, really important. I suppose also what that rule will do, and it's it's kind of currently there because you can make a downsizer from from age sixty five, but you can also do non concessionals up to sixty seven now without having to satisfy a work test. So in some situations, you're going to be asking yourself, should this be a non concessional contribution or it should be a downsizer contribution? And that will depend on the client's circumstances. Sometimes it'll be better as a downsizer, other times it'll be better as a non concessional. So that's where the strategy comes in from the advisor as well. All right. So to finish up, so if we come back to the original question. The, the the way the answer to the question in the way it was asked is no, you couldn't do a downsizer contribution in this situation because once you subdivide that block of land at the back of the block, it becomes a vacant land. And then then if you sell that to someone else at a different time to the time that you are selling your block of land that has your dwelling on it, then it no longer qualifies as part of your main residence and it would simply be vacant land and therefore it wouldn't qualify for either a full or part main residence exemption. However, there is obviously strategy there. So you could potentially think about actually developing that vacant block up the up the back put a new house on it and then you get to move or your clients get to move into that new flashy house and then they can sell their own, their old house. Now in that situation, because they've lived in it, obviously it would then qualify for a full or part main residence exemption depending on how long it took you to sell the property. So I think that will pretty much wrap it up. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during this podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.